This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday. Time for our crack strategy panel. Let's talk Tory. Last week, the four leadership candidates squared off in what will likely be the only debates. How did they do? Well, that question's been overshadowed by a spat between the camps of the two front runners, with the O'Toole people accusing a McKay staffer of stealing confidential campaign information and They have filed formal complaints with the RCMP, the OPP, and Toronto Police. The McKay campaign is totally dismissing the claim, calling it a, quote, desperate last-ditch strategy. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister finally said something tough in relation to China and the two Michaels, who have now been imprisoned for 561 days. So what do you think? 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And now I'd like to welcome John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Karen Stintz, the CEO of Variety Village, and Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto. Now, I'd like to start a little closer to home. Karen, you were all set to see your dad last week after all this time. What happened? I was so sad, Libby. I was so excited to see my dad, but I didn't get my COVID test uh, in time. Uh, It took over seven days to process my test. What? Yeah. The the province has been saying they're getting the times down and and it's going down to, to, uh, you know, almost 24 hours. Seven days? It took seven days. Yeah, I went to Sunnybrook. And uh, it, I, it took seven days. So uh, because I was waiting and waiting, I then went to Michael Guerin and I still wasn't able to get my test in time. So I wasn't able to see my dad. Um, the good news is I've got both tests now that have come back. I'm negative. So now I can go see my dad. But the first two appointment weeks. they could give me is next Friday. To see your dad? Yeah. Not even this Friday? No. This Friday coming. Sorry. I was supposed to see him last Friday. Yeah. But now I'm going to see him this week. Well, um uh, we're we're happy you're going to see him this week, but that's that is outrageous. It, to be candid, it, it was outrageous because it took over seven days to get the test from Sunnybrook, and then another seven days to book an appointment to see my dad, and then the test is still dated. <laughs> so I had to go. I was lucky. I went to Michael Guerin to get a secondary test done, so I have that now, so I can make sure I have everything I need because I'm. I really. I just want to. Lay eyes on my dad. Well, yeah. And so that test, that will be good. Will that be good for a second visit? Yes, it will. As long as I can see, as long as I can get another visit by next Thursday. <laughs> so I, I'm not, I'm not risking it. I'm going every week to get a test because if it takes another seven days, then there's a real chance I'll miss a visit and I don't want to do that. Well, I mean, you know, they keep telling us that we're improving on this testing and that, uh, I mean, if it's taken seven days, then the information we're getting now uh, is, you know, it's a snapshot from from the past. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I'm really hoping, um, particularly because they're making it a requirement for anybody who wants to visit a loved one in a long-term care facility or a retirement home that they need this test, that uh, they really figure out how to build up their capacity because, you know, I, you know, maybe I was just unlucky. I don't think so because even on the sites it says the testing can take up to seven days. Wow. Uh, guys, do you have a comment, Charles? Well, I spent a couple of hours with Karen's dad on the weekend. We had a few beers. It was great. No one asked me for a test. Uh, so, uh, no, I'm I'm sorry about that, Karen. That's that's really unfortunate and, and enormously frustrating. But it comes as no surprise. I mean, the number of tests um, in terms of quantitative figures is up, but the backlog at our labs remains, and that has been a problem since day one, and is definitely something that the province is going to have to get a whole lot better at going forward. John? Yeah, no, I, I just, I commend Karen for all the, the, the processes she has to go through to, uh, to visit her dad and, of course, being as safe as she is and protecting not only her, but, but her dad as well. But, but yeah, I know it's just, it's unfortunate that it has to take this much time. Um, obviously, Karen, I think you're doing the right thing by, by doing it on a weekly basis so you don't miss a, t- a time with, uh, with your father. But uh, I could just imagine the frustration. But, but, you know, good news is that you get to see him this Friday and uh, I'm sure you'll spend some quality time with him. Yeah, you know we've been, we've been hearing from a woman who actually did get to see her husband last week, but but she is an older woman, and she's got to go and stand in line for however long to get her test. She did it way in advance, and she's going to have to go back every two weeks, which is a hardship. And there are lots of older people who can't do that, and the requirements for them are more stringent than for the workers in the homes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. Are. And that's and that's the challenge I think that we're 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 seeing. I think the as Charles alluded, uh, uh, you know, good news because I know Charles has always been um, rightly so concerned about testing and the numbers over the course of the last number of shows and, and the fact that we are increasing our tests is a good news and that uh, and the fact that we're increasing tests and the, and, and the, the, te- the cases of positive uh, cases are, are decreasing is a very positive sign. But but there's a backlog given the fact that, you know, we've been doing this for the, for the last couple of months now, and and, um, and hopefully that'll get over uh, soon. Okay. Um, actually, before we move on to the conservative race, let's uh, take a call from Ron, who has uh, his own test story. Hi, Ron. Hello, Libby. Um, I, oh, boy, I feel for Karen. I don't know what the difference is around the province. Um, I had a precautionary test uh, on a Wednesday afternoon, this was over a week ago, uh, in Wellington, I guess it's Wellington Dufferin Public Health, uh, would be the overriding authority, I guess. And this was, uh, done in the city of Guelph on a, I said on a Wednesday afternoon. And I was told by the officials there that, uh, I guess, I don't know how it works again in Toronto, that no news is good news. That if they didn't, um, if I didn't hear from them by Friday afternoon, at the latest, that uh, I was negative. So I don't know why it's taking seven days in Toronto. Okay, so you're, but you're assuming they got the results because they didn't call you. <laughs> well, that was their, that was what they tell people that no news is good news. They're not going to call people to tell them it's negative. My, my family doctor. I was on the way back from Montreal, and I got a text message. I stopped in Montreal and. Uh, drive my son home and anyway, and there's a note from my doctor and there's another one from the, uh, a text message, a voicemail, and I'm starting to panic. So I phoned, they just said, oh, we got the results back. The doctor's office got the results back that it was negative. So, well, uh, good for you. Just, good for but, you, Ron. Thanks for sharing that. Okay. Thanks. Bye. 
Okay. No news is good news. Wow. Okay. Let's pivot to politics and the conservative leadership race, which seems to be overshadowed by this hacking spat. Uh, we've just found out that a Calgary MP has fired a summer student over this. Um, John, uh, does, does this make sense? And the thing that, uh, that, uh, sort of jumps out at me is, the McKay campaign, I mean, we've seen these things before that are usually or they're always blamed on some low level, <clears throat> excuse me, staffer acting on their own. But why would the McKay campaign respond by insulting them saying, you know, this is desperate rather than looking into it? Yeah, I, I think it's just troubling all in all. You know, the fact that, that the leadership campaign has, has been, is a, it's, had, it's had sort of a low uh, public um, profile over the last little while, you know, and then we had some, we had two debates back to back, the French and the English, which I thought Peter McKay, you know, did very well and, and, uh, exceedingly, um, uh, over the, over his opponents, quite frankly, and, and it was getting some attention. And then to come into this, I think it's qu- quite unfortunate given the fact that we're not getting the summer months because obviously the leadership is not until August, but so it is troubling. Um, and I think that, you know, I think campaigns in general, uh, when, when they hear allegations against them, uh, you know, their first reaction is to sort of pivot and to say, no, it's not true or, or, you know, we, we don't know anything about it and, and that kind of stuff and hoping that it becomes a day story or in fact that the allegations against them were in some cases false. I think that the challenge was for, for Errol Tool's campaign was that he, he laid the charges uh, on the Friday, uh, which was exactly the day after the two debates and, and exactly after the, the debates in which he didn't do particularly well. So it was easy to be able to say, oh, you know, it's a sign of desperation. The campaign's been do well, and, and, and this is the situation that, that we're facing. But, you know, here's the troubling the factor here, and that is for, for Aaron O'Toole to, to make, uh, to lodge a complaint to three different police forces, the RCMP, the OVP, and the Toronto Police, you know, would have given somebody to say there's going to be a shred of truth here. You wouldn't just make an allegation um, and, and then go to the police forces to, to uh to have them investigate if there wasn't some truth to it. And then, of course, today, I think in the news you're hearing, and you're, you're just, you're just, as you mentioned, in MP's office where a staffer was, in fact, you know, sent a letter of confession saying that, yeah, I did uh, send it to somebody in the McKay office. All of that is just troubling, and it doesn't do well for, for the leadership. Uh, and if it's proven that, that, in fact, it was the case that Peter McKay did steal it, or his campaign did steal it, then, you know, there's some heads will have to roll in order for this to, uh, to smooth over. Um, yeah, Charles, is it is it just good news because it makes your guys look better? Well, I mean, it's it's a it's a bit of a train wreck for the conservatives. That much is clear. I mean, you have a situation. I mean, uh, uh, bringing criminal charges in a party leadership race against one of your rivals is akin to a declaration of war. It says so many negative things on so many levels, and I have to think the O'Toole campaign did it because. Um, O'Toole was an unmitigated disaster on the Wednesday night in French, where he just was over-the-top angry. Um, I I think that they had put a lot of stock in O'Toole being better in French than McKay. Turns out neither of them is particularly good. And then Thursday, he was was a damn squib. And, you know, I don't particularly like any of the conservative leadership candidates from a partisan perspective, but I have to say McKay, uh, rather, McKay wiped the floor with him. And so coming out of that, um, it feels like uh, it was desperation time on the part of the O'Toole campaign, and they overreached. And the irony of the situation is, you know, 
Peter McKay has run really a lousy campaign, but he's not a bad candidate, whereas um, Aaron O'Toole's campaign has been particularly effective, and he's not a great candidate. And um, that's really starting to show now, and I think, you know, the whole process has entered a whole different level, and it may be incumbent upon McKay and O'Toole to get together and say, we've got to put this behind us for the sake of party unity. Karen? Yeah, yeah, I agree with Charles um, that, you know, you don't take these fights public. Um, no one wins. No, no one comes out looking good when these fights become public. So the, uh, there's not, nothing looks good on the Conservative Party right now. And, um, you know, as someone who's, who's interested in politics and interested in the outcome, you know, again, I wasn't particularly moved one way or the other by the debates, but now everyone's talking about this nonsense. And it, quite frankly, is nonsense because, so, okay, I mean, at the extreme, if it's true, he took a recording from a Zoom call that we know is not private. Yeah. Like, there's no, there's no security on a Zoom call anyway. <laughs> and and it, what did he confess to? That he wants the, the votes from the SOCONs, social conservatives. Well, so if you want them, why are you, why is that an issue? And so none of it, quite frankly, makes sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> and it just, it, it all seems to look so bad on all of them. And, and I haven't seen or heard anything that gives them any relevance in what's going on right now. John? Well, the, the old days, the old days, and Charles can attest to this, uh, you'd send a, you'd send somebody over to somebody, a rival's campaign as a spy and, and hope that they would somehow, you know, infiltrate the campaign and then come back with, uh, with uh, campaign secrets. But now, of course, in the day of, of uh, COVID and, and everything has to be done virtually, um, you know, it, it, it's just shocking that, that, you know, they would do certain things on Zoom and not over conference calls and, and all that sort of thing. But all in all, it's just, it just not, not a good thing. And, and you know, it, it, now it's going to be an investigation and there's going to be further news stories about this. And, uh, and you know, the fact that somebody has already been, uh, as you mentioned, somebody's already been fired uh, from an MP's office, uh, the ramifications of this are going to linger for the next little bit, but you know, I, I just hope, and I just hope that they, the two campaigns do come up to a resolution on this, and that they find out what's happening, and and they move on, and that they dispense of any potential charges being laid, um, because just, just you don't want a new leader uh, to come into a party uh, that leaderships are already divisive just on their own. Uh, and the last thing you want is a new leader to come in uh, with this hanging over them, uh, especially because, as we saw in the polls, the, the PCs have now dipped a bit uh, below the Liberals. Um, and, you know, so you want to be able to have the leader come in and actually command uh, some some loyalty of the party and move forward and try to reverse those numbers. Okay, well, let's uh, move along a bit. So last week, not a good week for the Prime Minister. We lost the vote on the Security Council seat. A lot of people say that's well and good. Uh, We finally had a little bit of tough talk against the Chinese from the Prime Minister yesterday. And then, uh, you know, we also had this business with uh, Jagmeet Singh being thrown out, refusing to apologize for calling a guy a racist. Um, I mean, you know, it's it's enough to make you shake your head. <laughs> Karen. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's certainly strange times, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and to add to it, the Conservatives are bellyaching that there should be in-person parliament, which I I supported them on only to find out that no one shows up for work. So, at the Zoom calls, so you know, it is. It's kind of a wonder what uh, 
you know, as we're emerging through this, we really do need to get a better sense of what is the strategic direction for our nation moving forward um, in light of the challenges that COVID has presented, not just from a public health perspective, but from an economic perspective and a geopolitical perspective. And, um, you know, we need to move past the daily briefings more to this is what we're going to, this is the direction for our country. And that, that can't happen soon enough. Um, Charles, what do you make of uh, the Jugmeet Singh thing? Uh, he wanted to get unanim- unanimous consent uh, for a motion on, on systemic racism in the RCMP. He didn't, and he called the Bloc Québécois MP a, a racist because of that. And then he was thrown out and refused to apologize, and the Prime Minister supports him. You're quite right, Libby. He was looking for unanimous consent for the House. He was getting a little bit ahead of his skis in terms of a process that has already been established to look at uh, race relations in Canada. Um, but what happened was the Bloc Québécois MP not only denied him unanimous consent, but also used a dismissive hand gesture towards him. Oh, and, please. Uh, Jagmeet lost it. I mean, he absolutely lost it on the floor of the House of Commons. And you could you could see by the clips that he was absolutely livid. I think there's a fair bit of sympathy for him um, in that regard. I mean, it has been an onerous few weeks uh, in terms of race relations, not only in the United States, but in Canada. And it's all against a, a backdrop of a virus that saw a record number of new cases globally just a couple of days ago. I was saying last week that um, a week ago last Saturday, the United States had 25,000 new cases of COVID in a single day. Lo and behold, seven days later, this past Saturday, 30,000 new well, cases. Y- yeah, and this but thing be- is not going away, and it is a big big problem, especially as Toronto prepares to enter stage two as of tomorrow. Right. But back to Jugmeet. Okay. Um, he lost it. A lot of sympathy if if he lost it. He said he got upset. I'm sure he has had many experiences of racism in his own life, and this may have triggered him. But, you know, um, assuming that we all lose it one time or another, and he's a party leader, why not apologize? Or are you saying that, I mean... It, what I'm kind of afraid might be happening is that anybody can say that anybody else is is a racist, and if they feel that way, that's the way it is, and and the consequences can be dire. Well, it's not the first time that term's been used in the House of Commons or in other parliaments around the world, and it's just these days it has an emotional volatility of its own. And, you know, as people are coming to grips with what all of these issues mean and how they have to adjust their own attitudes and try to see things through the eyes of other people and to walk a mile in their shoes. I mean, this is a very, very difficult process and it's, it's playing out in a number of different ways. So I'm, I'm not terribly surprised to, to see that moment. I will say that from, from the government's perspective, it was very convenient because we had obviously just gotten the news that we were unsuccessful in our bid for the UN Security Council seat. And lo and behold, um, Mr. Singh stepped all over that story by uh, calling a Bloc Québécois member a racist. And, yeah, and yeah, that's thank what led you for the that. News. Yes, yeah. indeed, from a political perspective. So I'm just curious, uh, does this mean, John, do you know, does this mean he can't come back into the House unless he apologizes because he's refused to? Well, no, I don't know what the process is by which him, I think he's got to somehow, uh, there's a committee report or an interview or, or investigation. <laughs> this is what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, but... 
you know, we saw with with Jagmeet uh, how emotional he got over the over Justin Trudeau's black blackface um, uh, exposure that that during the campaign, and and uh, I think obviously obviously that that emotional um, statement that that Jagmeet did over over the campaign elevated him uh, into new levels, um, not only for the campaign but for himself within the party, and then and of course, I, so I could see that that whenever there is. Uh, issues of racism that that are happening, even if in the U.S. it's spilled over to Canada. Uh, I always feel that Jagmeet takes a leadership role when it comes to that, and and sort of speaks from the heart because he's experienced it. And and I think that that's where you get sort of the the sympathy in, in some ways to say, okay, well, you know, if Jagmeet feels that somebody did something or or mentioned a, a racist comment, that he would obviously you know feel inflamed about it. Um, I don't know the the block MP uh, enough to know what what happened, although you know just. Saying no and, and, and gesturing uh, doesn't necessarily make him a racist, yeah. but I do feel that I do feel that you know Jagmeet has some level of, of authority and moral authority when it comes to that because of the fact that he's experienced it himself, and, and I think that's why Canadians are, are sort of giving him a bit of a pass on it. Uh, and you know, as you said, you, the prime minister is also agreeing with, uh, with, with what happened, but um, I, I suspect he'll be back in the house at some point. Yeah, it's just it's it's just it's it's a leap. I, I, it doesn't bother me. I can certainly understand that, that he became emotional of this, but, um, you know, voting against your unanimous consent bid doesn't make somebody a racist. Well, no. And as Charles said, you know, I think he was ahead of the process because there was, there was going to be a process in Parliament about that and, and discussing it and debating it. Uh, and there's not, I don't think there's any one political leader or party that doesn't disagree with the fact that there's, there's systemic racism in, in, in Canada. Uh, and would have had a more robust debate about that and, and the police forces and the RCMP. Um, but I think that by doing that, obviously, it took it took the that sort of that debate away from it, from the perspective of it became about Jack Meat calling the, the block MP a racist. Uh-oh. <laughs> there we go. Um, let's hear from Giovanni in Brampton. Hi, Giovanni. Yes, good afternoon. Uh, I just uh, won't take too much of time anyway, but uh, I have a... Uh, two questions to the panel there. I think that uh, the leader race of the conservative, they should uh, concentrate more on the policy, what they're going to do for Canadian and uh, for the prime minister. I think it's time that they tell China to send our boys back because we send our best. First, we send our teacher 30 years ago and teach English. Then we send our engineering and teach them now that's uh, they are a good economic because of us so i say get the boys back mr trudeau prime minister and anytime you're coming by six sentence way we show the other way thank you okay and have a good day thank you giovanni and interestingly enough finally we had a kind of unequivocal uh, show of support from mike pompeo the u.s uh, secretary of state also saying send the boys back uh, where does that leave us charles um and dominic robb the british uh, foreign secretary chimed in as well as did other foreign ministers i mean this is a very very complicated diplomatic dance i mean the, the two canadians in question michael kovrig and michael sparrow were Spavoy. essentially arrested and ultimately charged in the wake of the detention of uh 
Huawei's CFO. Exactly. And um, Chinese officials have openly referred to to the link, and it's a clear political link. And it's it's actually very difficult for the Chinese government and Chinese officials to understand that the Canadian justice system does not work on a political basis. It works on on the basis of the rule of law. And this is just something that they, they just cannot accept. And so you know, Giovanni raises, you know, send our boys home. That's great. It's like send in the troops. I mean, there's all sorts of things you can say, but the name of the game is, is what is it going to take to get them home? And the fact that we're seeing this kind of coordinated um, effort on the international stage where Libby, you're right, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo came out and he made reference to the fact that these charges are politically motivated and completely groundless and that this is simply a bid to coerce Canada. And again, the British foreign minister chiming in. I mean, this is this is a very, very deliberate um, diplomatic dance that's going on. And half the battle will be finding a way for China to release these Canadians without losing face, well, like, which yeah. is enormously uh, important to the Chinese. Of which, and that yeah. is, and that, and that's what makes it very tricky. And so, taking it slowly and carefully, as much as um, Messrs. Kovig. Kovrig and Sparrow might be suffering. I mean, that's the name of the game, right? It's it's don't don't make a wrong move. Got to take your time. Got to get it right. Well, yeah. Except, um, Karen, the government's been saying that for 561 days, and the uh, soft approach didn't work. It didn't work with getting them released. Didn't work with getting that Security Council seat. And and we've also heard from Michael Spavor's uh, wife. She's getting in on it. Sometimes that's very effective when family members get in on it. Karen, how does this, does this end uh, unless we release, unless Meng Wanzhou does, doesn't get extradited? Yeah. So, you know, it's, this is political. It, it was a political move by the United States to have her detained. It's been a political move by China to, to detain our citizens. And so even though we're hiding behind the fig leaf of the rule of law, this entire thing is political. And again, back to we need a geopolitical strategy to figure out how to solve this because it's, it's not going to get solved through the courts. And it's not even about that anymore. Um, whether she lied or she didn't lie or whether she was violating sanctions against Iran, it's actually all immaterial and doesn't actually matter. So the the real issue is power and control. Who has it? Does the U.S. have it or does China have it? And we're a pawn right now, and we're being played by both superpowers. And it's only and we're the only loser right now. And so you know she's in her multi million dollar home in Vancouver. Our guys are suffering. That you know for five hundred days they get no sleep and they can't eat and they can't get anything. So Canada has to grow a pair and figure out what it is that we are trying to achieve on the world stage and figure out how to get it done. And so know, what's that look like, Karen? Yeah, well, that's, but I'm saying that's what has like, to happen. Well, how do you get them out? Tell me. Well, I mean, Charles, like, there has to be a strategy, and I don't see it. Well, I see the Secretary of State for the U.S. and the British Foreign Minister coming out in concert with our Prime Minister. That sounds like a strategy Yeah, except that then he's undermined by members of his own party saying that this is all political anyway and that, that, yeah. they, that she could be released tomorrow. So, I'm, not sure, you're saying I'm not sure any U.S. official, quite frankly, Charles, asking China to send our troops back helps. Correct. Okay, uh, we will have to solve that one next week. But uh, Karen, I, I I think you kind of nailed it there, frankly. Yeah. Um, but it, it's not good news for the prospects of these two hostages. I'm going to call them hostages. Um, this is just a really bad situation. And yeah. uh, let's hope that some of them find a way sometime. 
And until we solve it next week, thank you so much, John Capobianco, Charles Bird, and Karen Stintz. Thanks, Libby. Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.